Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm talking about the romanticizing Jesus movement. Now, I wrote a blog 10 years ago about this then-emerging romanticizing Jesus movement. The sly eroticism when describing the majestic God of the universe, the creator of worlds, destroyer of souls, enemies under his footstool. Yes, that God. Yes, he's compassionate, nurturing, loving, but he is a God who is thrice holy. We should look upon him with love and awe and reverence, but never in childish, junior high, flower-covered diary terms. But this week, Beth Moore did it again, and again she sparked a controversy. Social media went ablaze, Christian news outlets reported on it, and the dial on blogs went spinning crazily. Now, the reason there is always controversy around Moore is because she is living proof of one who preaches a different gospel that causes dissensions and controversies. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5, for what I'm talking about. It says... If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words, from which come envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions, constant friction between people of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Well, that set of verses from 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5, definitely describes Beth Moore and people like her. But anyway, what I wrote 10 years ago in 2012 has come to fruition, and the fruit is bad. Of course, we know a good tree bears good fruit, while a bad tree bears bad fruit. There is no in-between. We love Jesus, but we are not in love with Jesus. Let me read that blog from 2012, and you can make a determination for yourself if the movement then, which was emerging, has come to bad fruition or not. I think it has. Now, I've been hearing, this is 10 years ago, snippets of lyrics that gave me pause, hearing friends talk about books with certain words that upset my spirit. I could not figure out why at first, but then it came to me. These words are part of a new paradigm aimed at women in which Jesus is romanticized as our high school prom date. Is this new trend bad? 
oh yes, it's bad. Here is an example of this romanticism of Jesus I'm talking about. It's from Anne Voskamp, um, who wrote 1,000 Gifts. And it's quoted in a blog book review by Tim Challies. Quote, he's quoting um, Anne Voskamp here in his review. Quote, I fly to Paris and discover how to make love to God. This closing chapter, The Joy of Intimacy, is Voskamp's discovery of God through something akin to sexual intimacy. In a chapter laden with intimate imagery, she falls in love with God again, but this time hears him urging to respond. She wants more of him. She wants to understand what it means to fully live, what it means to be one with Christ, to experience a deepest kind of union. He quotes from the book, quote, God makes love with grace upon grace every moment, a making of his love for us. Couldn't I make love to God, making every moment love for him, to know him the way Adam knew Eve, spirit skin to skin? Well, that was the end of the book review of Tim Challies and Voskamp, 1,000 Gifts, which hers is a, re a real extreme example of the romanticizing Jesus movement that has folded into it quite a bit of eros, eroticism. Now, it's bad enough to have date night with Jesus because you are in love with him, but to fantasize about sex with him skin to skin, just awful. But that is the natural slide downward where this trend is leading us. And I'll show you why. If you Google, Jesus is not my boyfriend. Now this is 10 years ago, I said, there were a lot of hits. Many other better bloggers than I had already written about the trend. And I have some links in the blog about that. Do not be surprised, Chapter 3 Ministries, Todd Friel, and Spectrum Magazine. The trend began, really, I think, in Christian music. And in Friel's piece on Wretched, he not only warned about the lyrics, but about the amorous phrasing and the manner in which these lyrics are sung, which is breathlessly and sensuously. And all this is a no-no. But unfortunately, the trend has launched off music in invaded books and other materials, you guessed it, aimed mostly at women. So I got to thinking, why? Why this sudden trend toward Jesus as the hugging boyfriend? In my belief system, what I have seen of the God of the universe through his word is that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, advocating and adjudicating for us with Yahweh at the throne in the courts of praise where the pillars shake. He is not a romantic date sliding down a rainbow on a unicorn to give us a cupcake. I read that somewhere. Isn't it good? I wish I could remember to give credit. So what's up with all of this? Well, it's about the battlefield. 
It's about the battlefield. We know from many scriptures, we are in a battle. We are fighting the good fight. Here's a few of those verses. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 19. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Ephesians 6, 12. Jude 1, 3. We are given armor to help us, the main weapon of which is his word. Ephesians 6, 13 to 14. Now, where in the scriptures does it say the battle is for men only? Lift up the helmet visor. There's women in there. But, and so nowhere does it say the armor is for men only. Women are in this fight too. But women are always Satan's first target. He approached Eve in the garden, not Adam. Genesis 3.1. Paul warned Timothy that in the last days, false Teachers will creep into households to capture who? Weak-willed women who are laden with sins. 2 Timothy 3.6. Women are a target. Just look at the havoc wreaked with the feminist movement. Just as with so many things of Jesus, the opposite of what we expect in this world is what is actually true. The weak will prevail, the meek shall inherit, the first shall be last. And in this case, it is that staying on the battlefield is safer than off the battlefield. Therefore, Satan's goal is to get women off the battlefield. Just picture a, a baby elk drifting away from the herd and the lions waiting to get it. As long as you are a soldier fighting to resist Satan in all ways and all days, wearing your armor, wielding it in Holy Spirit strength, you are safer than if you're off the battlefield relaxing. And yet that's where Satan has gotten so many women, to relax. They've taken off their armor, suspended the fight. Now they're not a warrior. They're a camp follower looking for a snuggle. Originally, a camp follower was a woman married to a soldier who traveled with the soldier. Sometimes his family went along too. But Satan has gotten the women off the muddy, stinky, dirty battlefield to go into the tent and rearrange the curtains. He's gotten women off the battlefield and into romanticizing. So now that we've dispensed with armor and gotten in touch with our softer side, then we did the same to Jesus. No longer the Lord of Lords. He's the high school date with whom we cuddle in the rocking chair, kissing skin to skin with embraces and all those kind of lyrics. What will be the next progression? You read Beth Moore's snippets of her date with Jesus, where she said, quote, she is so in love with him. What is the next thing that Satan will do? Well, he'll continue to pervert the relationship, pollute it. We've left the godly relationship behind, and we've entered a romantic relationship. The next step is to change it from romantic to sexualizing it. Isn't that the progression? Always downward. Take the lyrics of Hold Me with Jamie Grace featuring Toby Mac. I love, I love, I love, I love the way you hold me. Three times, four times. 
I've had a long day. I just want to relax. Don't have time for my friends. No time to chit chat. Problems at my job, wondering what to do. Then that's when your smile comes around. Oh, I love the way you hold me. And on and on, sickeningly. What happened to the wifely camp followers? Many women, I mean, this is from history. What happened, really happened to them? Well, if their husbands were killed, these women had to make a living. So you know what happened next is they entered into sexual relationships with the men in the war as prostitutes. So women are going AWOL from the battle, seduced by the violins and lollipops from the army band at the back. They go into the tents, wait out the battle. And while women are waiting, they yearn for the perfect man to come sweep them off their feet, give them the love they've wanted and never had, listen to them. And then they descend into some kind of perverse sexual relationship and their degradation is complete. Jesus was not these women's boyfriend. He, he becomes their lover. But here's a song I like. The battle is wearisome. It's dirty. It's bloody. As seen in the song, Battle Hymn of the Republic. We're in a war. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword, and his truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. That kind of language is quite different from the soft and romanticizing language we get in today's songs and books and social media statements. We need to be on the battlefield for when he does come. You can't be listening to lyrics like, hold me in your arms, never let me go. Lord, I want to see your face, feel the warmth of your embrace. From Hillsong United, draw me closer to you. We can't be off in some field making a snowman, having a blast with God, as Beth Moore has said, or making love to God, spirit skin to skin, as Ann Voskamp has written. Women are seduced off the battlefield and turning into camp followers for Jesus. Now, I agree that's rough, but what else is a person to make of a trend where our perfect agape love of our holy God has been switched for Eros with our prom date, Jesus. I'll finish up here with a quote from Spectrum Magazine. While it is true that the Bible utilizes image of marriage to parallel Christ's relationship to the church, two things must be taken into account. First, Christ relates to the church as a collective unit. He's married to the community as a whole and not to billions of individuals who claim to serve him. He's not a polygamist. Secondly, the love Christ shares with his church is not defined by the Greek term eros, from which our English word erotic is derived. 
but it's expressed with the noun agape, which denotes love demonstrated in deeds. Those who view themselves as children of God are not called to exercise eros, but agape. They are not invited to brief episodes of self-gratifying sexual intimacy, but to a lifetime of social and spiritual interaction. So that's the end quote from Spectrum magazine about this movement romanticizing Jesus. And what are the men to make of this sexual imagery with Christ? Did Anne Voskamp's husband feel comfortable with her sexual allegory and erato language? How would he feel if she was saying these things about Justin Bieber, that she wants to enjoy a greater intimacy with spiritual skin to skin, or worse, the man next door? This kind of language is adulterous language. Adultery is not good. Ladies, if you listen to praise music or read Christian books or studies by women, here are some clues to think about as you select one. First, who is the subject of the song? Even the nicest sounding songs or books take ourselves as the subject, like Hillsong United's Draw Me Closer to You is really about me. How long does it take you to figure out the song is about God? In the Hold Me song, where I read some of the lyrics, the Lord was not mentioned till nearly the end. You would think it was about a boyfriend relationship. Is the song sung in a, sung in a straightforward way, or are there additional sensuous trills and moans added? If it is a book or passage or Bible study, then are there words that allude to a fleshly relationship of more of a carnal nature? Talk of kissing or embracing? I trust in my divine and majestic God as Lord and Savior. He's also my comforter and my friend. He's not, though, my boyfriend, and he is not my lover. He is God, and his grace is sufficient for me. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prado. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Mm-hmm.